Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Uh, we're spending the first two weeks of, of the year uh, trying to define what makes grace the church, what makes grace grace. I, this is a question I probably get more than any other question in the lobby and sometimes at Newcomer Lunch. There's a feel here. There's kind of an atmosphere. I can't put my finger on it. And honestly, I've been trying to put words to it for <laughs> almost 10 years. And so now we might have some words to go with that. So last week we looked, I, I, the two weeks we were looking at, we we're looking at it, grace as figuratively speaking, as though it, Grace Church were a team. And so we looked at, uh, the outline was team, like values. And then this week, that's what we looked at last week. And then this week is team tactics, how we do things. And this team values and team tactics is what really defines what we're doing. Let me just review for team values last week, just so that you understand. We kind of broke that up into two parts. In review, it's team values and coaches' values. Those are atmospheric issues. Those are really what gives you um, kind of the feel of grace, the team values and the coaching values. When we looked at the team values, again, I'm hurrying through this because it's a review, but the team values, what, the value we have here is that every believer is a minister. Every believer is a minister. And we looked at a passage uh, from one of the writings from uh, the uh, Apostle Peter, and he said this about you, about every believer. He says, you are chosen. You were, we're, you were chosen to be his own people, right? A royal priesthood, right? To lead people out of the darkness and into the light. Every person is that type of person, right? That, that they're chosen and they're selected and they're called out for that purpose. And so because every believer is a minister at Grace regularly, we have pop quizzes and I'll just say, I'm just a pastor, but you're the you're the ministers. That's right. And we're, we want us to feel the weight of not just the responsibility of that, but also the opportunity of that. We want you to think this way. Ephesians 2.10, a huge verse for us around here, is for God, uh, for we are God's workmanship created, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. We are created for a purpose, and the purpose that we're created for is eternal in nature. And when people, when people don't have purpose in life, you, you just go to Ephesians 2.10 and say, well, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a minister. You have purpose. You're called out. You're a part of a royal priesthood. You've been chosen by God. You've been selected. So that, that's our, our team values. Our coaching values is, is um, different from most of the way teams are run and churches are run. It all looks the same from the outside, you know, from the bleachers. But when you're on that team, oh, you know the difference. The most common philosophy or, or value for coaching is to put some big, hairy, audacious goal out there, and you put it on the walls, and you have people memorize it, and you pledge allegiance to it. You qualify people by that. You motivate people by that, and that's what you're going to do. That's the way we're going to run things here, and we're going to put that out there all the time. Well, that's not the way we coach here. That's not the coaching value we have. And we last week, again, we looked at a, a number of very successful. It's not about winning, okay? It's very successful coaches in various uh, aspects of, of application of this. And, and we found that, you know what? You can get a lot of things happening successful, successfully if you do not do the big, hairy, audacious goal, but rather you coach the people over the player. Or in our case, it would be the priest over the player. In other words, the people are valuable. 
They're not just means, you know, to, an, to a bigger end. And so we looked at a passage that in the, in the Bible that showed that if you look at the way that Paul coaches, and sometimes, Peter, you can see this as well, but certainly the life of ministry of Jesus, you can see that he coaches this way. He's not doing the big, hairy, awesome, or audacious goal. He's character coaching. He, in, in Colossians, we looked at that, that, that he would, Paul said, I toil and I strive, so reminding everyone and teaching everyone so that everyone would be perfect or mature or complete in Christ. That's character coaching. That's what we kind of do here. So Team Grace, at this point in, in understanding what we do and how we do it, it is uh, team value is every believer is a minister. Team coaching is the priest or the people over the, more important than the player. Now today, as I promised, let's talk about tactics. Let's talk about how, if you're a minister, you probably, if you feel the responsibility and the weight of that, you're thinking, okay, go, ow. <laughs> let, let me tell you the first rule in ministry, okay? And this will help calm nerves. The first rule in ministry is this, that you do the easy stuff and let God do the hard stuff. That's, that's real ministry philosophy right there. If you want to be a successful minister, you want to be free, you want to be free of fear, do, know this. You do the easy stuff and let God do the hard stuff. When you think about it, first of all, the, the soul, if you're thinking that you that you are to care and nurture a soul or be part of the change if you think too much of it is on you. Think about this. A, soul is, a human soul is way too valuable to put in your hands, a mere mortal's hand. God would not delegate this to an angel, and he's not going to delegate it to you. He'll be in charge of that. It's his responsibility, not yours. And second of all, if, you've, if you live long enough, you're going to come to realize that no, no person or advice or circumstance really has the power to change people. You'll see a lot of people go through life, and they don't change. And, and, and it's not, it's, okay, look, some people and advice and circumstances can help, but they're not instrumental to change. And God knows this, and so when Jesus is leaving, he's having his last meal and his last kind of coaching talk with his disciples, and he says, listen, I must leave because you need a lot of help doing the heavy work, the heavy lifting, the hard stuff. And so here's what he says. Let me tell you why I'm leaving. He says, I tell you the truth, verse, chapter 16, verse 7, it's good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. And if he comes, he will convict the world of guilt regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. It's the Spirit of God that does the hard stuff, convicting a person of sin, making a person want to say, I, I got to change. I, I need to change. And you can't, you can play a small part in that, but it's the Spirit's God to do that. He never sleeps. People are never safe from him. He'll talk to them in their dreams. In other words, you can lead a horse to water. That's all you have to do, lead a horse to water. God's Spirit can make them thirsty. And they have to choose whether they'll drink or not. But all you have to do is lead them to water. So if, I think, first and foremost, if you, can, if you can grasp this value, you'll kind of relax, enjoy the responsibility, but l- right, let God do the ha- hard stuff and you do the easy stuff. You do the easy stuff, let God, God do the hard stuff. Boom. Now, with that in mind, you know, you, you need to defi- we need to define sex success. <laughs> yeah. Now you're listening. 
Yeah. Okay. We might be doing that more often. <laughs> Ministry success. <laughs> All right, Sigmund, put down your pen. <laughs> Okay, so ministry success will be defined this way at our church, right? It's that you do the easy stuff, leave the hard stuff to God. You do the easy stuff, leave the hard stuff to God, okay? You can do, the point is you can do what God calls you to do. It's scary. I don't want to take that away from this. This is scary, but it's fun scary because it's not on you. You just do the easy stuff. Now, the second thing uh, that I want to talk to you today about is besides this kind of this value, but it's how. How do you, you know, how do you do the ministry? You know, like how can you, um, like, like it's the way you see life and how do, you, how do you kind of participate, how you can kind of see the way to play the game if you're the minister? Well, you know, a few years ago we introduced, uh, admittedly, it's a rhyme, and I don't want to take away from the power of this because it does rhyme. We, 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 we talked about this more than a decade ago, and people started seeing it. It's a lifestyle. It's not even a program. It's not a plan. It's a way to view all of reality. I promise you, this is the way Jesus did most of his ministry, if you look in the Gospels. The outline is this, prayer, care, share. Look at the ministry of Jesus. Look at the ministry of Paul. Look at the, the, the saints. They pray, they care, they share. And that's the ministry outline that we do here. But again, it's a worldview. It's a way to see all of reality. You start off with prayer because that acknowledges, right, that God's, that God's doing the heavy lifting. He's doing the hard stuff. We're doing the easy stuff. We're praying for courage. We're praying for insight. We're praying that God's spirit, you know, is working in a person's soul. Then we look at caring, and caring is both an end and a means. It's an end because it is good to do good to a fellow human being. So if nothing comes of it, it's a good thing to do. It's also a means. It gives you, you know, maybe a possibility to have an audience with someone. So you pray, get God in this. It's his work. Care and then share. Finally, you get to tell people that grace transforms, that salvation is a gift from God. It is not to be earned. And, and meaning and purpose and, and honor is given as a gift from God. So, let me, so with that, with those two points in mind that God's going to do the hard stuff and this prayer care share outline, I promised you last week that I would bring one of your fellow ministers here to help. Like, this is how we play the game. And I've asked Ellen Tuthill to come join us. Ellen, come on up. Ellen, um, she's a local. There's not very many of those in Austin. Ellen uh, grew up in Austin, and she graduated from Anderson High School right down the street here. Go Trojans. Went to SMU for undergrad and uh, also picked up her master's in arts there and an MBA from there. Went to Chicago where you worked for the symphony, the Chicago symphony uh, for a few years and found a great church where you found a great husband. Yes. That's right. Will. Then um, moved back to Austin. She, when she was up in Chicago, she realized she was a very, she found out that God gave her the gift of teaching and she started becoming involved in the precepts ministry at that point. And she's, some of you gals might know her because she's taught many of the precepts Bible studies that we have here. Two children, uh, what, eight and 11? Yeah. And um, let's see, you're a minister, aren't you? You're a minister at work, minister in your neighborhood, minister with the boys' schools, right? Yeah. Well, being an MBA graduate, I'm sure you had a big, hairy, audacious goal in your ministry style. Well, no, I don't. And it's funny because I went to business school when I had been a Christian for one year. And I came out of that environment thinking, oh, I need to have a measurable, attainable goal for every aspect of my life. 
And over the years, I've had to reform the way I think about that because now instead I think I live with a purpose, but definitely not setting goals. That's not important to me now. And studying Ephesians 2, which you had up there, is, was just revelatory for me because it said that God had already planned out things for me to do. I'm not in charge of those things. I just have to walk in them. And that sounds like a more passive role. I just get going. And it means I'm not just saved from my sin. I'm saved for something. Right. So that changed how I think quite a bit. Um, but now I see myself as just a servant carrying out orders instead of someone who is coming up with things to do and making checklists and ticking them off. And my friend Corey told me once, um, we were standing in my driveway, and she said, Ellen, we are missionaries in our neighborhoods. And at first I thought, no, we're not. (laughs) And she said, we really are. And it doesn't matter that we're not paid, that we don't have a title. In fact, that might be to our advantage. So she helped me see things differently and see that I'm in control of almost nothing in my life. So I guess basically now I would say I want to live a lifestyle that prioritizes eternal things over temporal things. And my friends and I, I feel, are starting to realize that as we age and we lose people who matter to us and we go through different struggles, that life is really short, as it turns out. And there's nothing to be gained from hiding Jesus from other people. I haven't figured out anything to be gained from that. We're supposed to be visibly Christian. And, and Jesus said this in different ways, right? But he said if we're, we're Christians, we should be the light. We're supposed to be the light. It doesn't mean we're supposed to be proud and obnoxious. Right. I, <laughs> yeah. But we are supposed to be visibly Christian. And so... I like to think that if something happened tomorrow and all of the believing kids and adults in my particular neighborhood just disappeared, that the rest of the neighbors would be devastated, that they would say, oh, no, you know, the light in our, in our area is gone. The people who took care of us and prayed for us and grieved with us and actually talked to us about real things are missing, and it's, it's devastated the community. So that's, that's kind of my hope. Well, I love, I love the value that you have that it's a lifestyle and not, um, I mean, I guess a plan. And that's the way you look at your ministry and the, the ministry that God has given you with coworkers and, and neighbors and, and friends. So um, it's all about bringing, realizing that God's going on before you and you're, to draw them to their attention to Christ. But what does that look like, you know, when you're doing it? Well, I've learned that I have to ask God to guide me. I mean, there's communication required, right? And I do make plans, and I have commitments, of course, but I need to be very flexible because I may not know what that day is supposed to hold for me until that day begins. Right. And it's not up to me if I'm the servant. He's the boss. So I think that's really why prayer is essential if you're going to try to live this way. Right. So, I mean, you, you seem like you've, uh, you might have been here when we did the first rollout of Prayer Care Share. So you, you can see the value of, of starting with prayer. Yes. And that's a very important part of, of the ministry that you have as a minister, right? So how, do, how does that look in, in, you know, your everyday life? Well, I like the fact that prayer comes first in the rhyme. Right. Um, it does help me remember to do that because I wouldn't say that I'm a prayer warrior. I greatly admire my friends who commit Um, consistently and do that just as part of their day every day no matter what 
But I do pray enough to know that I've seen that prayer has to precede action. Prayer is so mysterious, you know, and it accomplishes many different things. But what I notice that it does for me is to force me to acknowledge that he is in control and not me. And when that happens, I know he's going to be doing the heavy lifting. And so now I actually pray before I go to the store, before I go to a party, before I take my kids to a play date. I ask God to give me a spiritual conversation with someone in that place, wherever that is. Right. Well, give me an example, Willie. Okay. I can realize. (laughs) Well, my favorite one is is about H-E-B. So about a year ago, I pulled into the parking lot at H-E-B, turned off the car, and I actually remembered to pray. So... I went into the store asking God, you know, I'd like to know who you want me to speak with today. Give me a a spiritual conversation and show me who. So I got to the back, and I had to ask for help from one of the employees to find something. And we began speaking with each other, and right away I thought, oh, my goodness, I think this is it. So I said to him, I can't place your accent. Where did you grow up? And he said, I'm from North Africa. And I said, oh, my goodness, I've only been to Ethiopia. I know nothing about your part of the continent. And would you tell me a little bit about it? So we started discussing his country, and he told me that he was Muslim. And we even got into our sacred texts. We were talking about the Quran versus the Bible. And he started asking me questions like, how does a Christian know which church to go to? There's so many. How do you pick? So I had the chance to say that the Bible really mattered to me, and I have to find a place where they teach that. And so this has gone on almost every week, maybe every other week for the last year. I see him there. I plan extra time to go to the store so that I can talk with him without being frantic. And at Easter time, he actually said to me, what are all these bunny rabbits and chickens? Because he's setting them up, right? <laughs> he's setting them up. <laughs> right. He said, is this what Easter is? Right. And then I had the chance to say no and to just explain to him what Jesus' death and, and resurrection meant. And so to me, the fact that that followed my prayer, specifically right. asking for that, cannot be a mistake or an accident. And the fact that God has created a place where a married Christian woman and a single young Muslim guy can talk in public right. without any repercussions is very strange. It's so strange it has to be him. Right. It's a good work in Christ that you prepared before the beginning of time. Yes. Uh, they're out there. You find them, right? Yes. So you mentioned in our conversation earlier this week about your realization for the need of team prayer. Yes. And, and how desperately you need that and how much it's influenced your ministry. Tell us about that. Well, I feel like as powerful it is when I connect with God, if lots of us connect with him on the same topic, it just feels very different. So powerful to me. I even ask my kids to pray for me now. They're getting old enough that they will do that. And I don't know why, but that feels strong. And my husband will pray for me. It just feels amazing. But I've also gotten to pray with a ministry called Moms in Prayer, which used to be called Moms in Touch. And we pray for schools, we pray for the teachers and the kids, and it unites us, but it also creates wonderful stories that I probably don't have time to tell you today, but it it does powerful things. And on a micro level, if you even just have one friend who will pray for you or pray with you, you are very, very blessed. 
This fall, um, my husband and I and my friends, the Hills, felt like God was prompting us to start a couples group in our neighborhood. So we all prayed about it because there are a lot of nice people in our neighborhood, and we needed to know who God wanted there. So who would need and want and enjoy this particular kind of fellowship with us to talk about marriage? So we had prayed before we invited people, but on the night of the first meeting, I got kind of in Martha mode, I guess, and I was frantically cleaning and, you know, setting out the food and all that good stuff, and I forgot to pray. So the, the friends are coming in the front door, and I look outside, and I see my neighbor, Jean Bryan, who goes to this church. And I ran out there, and I said, Jean, Jean, we're having our first marriage group. And she said, oh, I'm going to pray for you right now. And so she started praying, but she prayed for us every Monday. And sometimes she would walk the block and do it. And I feel like the unity, the vulnerability, and the depth we achieved very fast in this group was because somebody was asking God to make that a sacred place that was safe. And and God just did amazing things every week. Right. And then when you you were working in Chicago, uh, you had a prayer group there, right? Yes, it was very tiny. I mean, arts organizations aren't known for being Christian strongholds, right, necessarily. But there were three of us who got together to pray, and it seems like it changed how we saw our mission in the workplace as well as how we saw our coworkers. And God did some really strange things. Um, I had a coworker who was a strong atheist. He was writing this manifesto about atheism. But he moved into the apartment above me, and he drove me crazy. But he kept um, asking me what he should read. So he read all the Gospels, and then he read C.S. Lewis. And he just kept reading all this stuff. And I think that was only God could do that, you know. And we had coworkers who'd pop into our cubicles and say they were in a crisis, something was going really wrong, and ask us to pray for them. Um, A couple of ladies came to my house and studied the Bible with me at night. So I think the prayer set up an environment that was different from what it would have been like if we weren't there and we weren't praying for right. them. And I mean, for your soul, it helps, it, it helps your soul slow down, right? Yes. And just not yes. be in a hurry. Yes. I'm not a natural listener. I'm a talker. You can probably tell. <laughs> so prayer slows me down. Right. So I think, I think a great application for us would be, in light of your story, is just like if you have someone praying, or if you don't have someone praying for you, one, pray that God would bring someone into your life that would pray for you and pray with you in the ministry endeavors that God has for you. Because exactly. it changes so much, right? Yeah. Okay, well, let's, we talked about prayer. Let's talk about care for a second. And, and um, care is a lifestyle. Again, it's not a thing to do. It is a way of seeing uh, the people that God has brought into your life. How does, how does that look and why, is, why do you suppose that's next? Well, in my mind, I think prayer shows you who, whom to care for. Whom should you focus on that day? But, but it also reminds me how God feels about the other person. And a few years ago, I read a book, Practicing the Presence of People by Mike Mason, that radically changed the way I see other human beings. And after that, I wrote on a card and I stuck it on my mirror God, today help me to see people the way you see them. And so every morning when I got up, I had to go in there and look at that. Right. Because in my mental space, I, without God, I could become so negative about people. Um, that inner monologue will kill the spirit. And so I feel like 
when I get his perspective, I want what he wants for them. Right. And that's the only time I'm ready to actually minister to other people. Right. So uh, what, what do you, like, when you're in that prayer, what does that look like? What, you, I think you, you're listening for God to prompt you on, on what their needs might be. Is that? Yes. And, I mean, sometimes we do things, right, like we take someone a meal We watch their kids for them. I've done some dog sitting for a friend. Those are really practical things that aren't instinctive for me. So I have some friends in my neighborhood who do it really well, and I've had to learn from them. Team caring. Team caring. (laughs) And sometimes we are the ones structuring the the meal calendar for the new mom or when someone's parent passes away. We seem to be the team that jumps into action. Okay. But... I have also seen that if you really listen, there are emotional and spiritual ways to care for people that could change their life. And I learned this from my husband who naturally notices and listens. So I feel that God is showing me that we can't be afraid to say hard things, to ask about pain and grief and even doubt because avoiding those subjects doesn't actually show care for people. But we default to doing that. Jesus never did that. He never did that. He always addressed the pain, the mistakes, the fear. And so I'm I'm hoping I can start living that way because when you ask people hard things or get into the mess, it communicates, I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect. I am not afraid of your mess. You can't scare me off. I'm not going anywhere. And so... I think that's the way God loves me, so I'm supposed to do that too. Right. And it's based on unconditional love for right. your neighbor. Reflecting unconditional love. Now, you, you mentioned earlier that you, you, you felt like God was uh, calling your group to do the five-word series, which is a marriage, a marriage series called Five Words we did at the beginning of the school year this year. And you, and you felt like God was uh, leading you guys to do that. Why did you think that was in what way was that caring for your neighbors? Right? <laughs> well, to be honest, there's nothing messier than discussing your marriage with your neighbors, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty tricky. <laughs> but it also, there's nothing that requires more unconditional love than marriage. And so that couples group that I was describing was a really fun way for us to minister to our spouse, minister to our friend, Um, But to show care, because we're saying, we care what happens to you. We don't want you to go in the wrong direction here. Your marriage matters to us. And that actually came out of another thing we had done this summer. Five of us in the neighborhood all um, work with the Bible studies here for women. So we wrote a women's Bible study, and we just did it in the neighborhood. And we had wine and food and scripture, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time. And people came from all different churches and some from no church to study with us. But at the end, they didn't really want to stop meeting. And then we were in a quandary because we were involved here on Wednesday mornings, and we needed to stay committed to that too. So we prayed about what we could do to care for some of them in the neighborhood. Right. And that's how that group came about. Yeah. So... um what about a person that's not so extroverted as you are, you know, what, what are ways they could get maybe involved? Well, there are so many opportunities through this church. Right. I, I sat down and tried to think of just the ones I know off the top of my head. Almost any population that you feel drawn to, you could find a ministry for that here. Right. So I would say if you're not very extroverted, you might start with asking the church, where could you use my help? How could I care for people? Right. 
Uh, but don't believe the lie that just because you're more shy, God can't use you to care and share for people. That is not true. Right. You may need more downtime. I mean, I need lots of time at lo- alone in my house. I need a lot of time to read and reflect and rest. But I can still do this because God's helping me. Right. Let me try to summarize what you've said uh, about care, caring. It, uh, it's unconditional love, right? You receive it and you reflect it back. You're, you're listening deeply into people's souls so that you can feel uh, and understand maybe what God is leading you to, like who they are ultimately, you know, deeply, and then what they might need. Yes. And then you have to be brave, mm-hmm. right? Which is a great transition, <laughs> right? I mean, you can make a lot of mistakes in this area. Yes. So you're, I think your patron saint is Peter. Is that what you <laughs> told Yes. Me? I mess up a lot. I offend people. My kids offend people because they are pretty open about things faith-wise, and it's really humbling. But we don't live in a country where we're going to get sent to jail for doing that. So I think we have to get over ourselves and take risks relationally. And surprisingly, some of the deepest spiritual conversations I've ever had came out of me messing up and having to go to someone and ask for them to give me grace because it's a very unique concept. If you are not a Christ follower, when someone comes to you and apologizes and and asks for you to have mercy on them. So I think God can use those conversations and use those words. Humility. It's always, (laughs) right? a currency that people enjoy. Yeah. So uh, we looked at prayer and then care, and then in, in the sharing aspect, uh, you being a minister, that is where a lot of people get especially uncomfortable. And I'm hoping that you uh, might have could give us some insight <laughs> in this. You know, it's just terrified to bring up the J word. We're going to yeah. talk about Jesus here. <laughs> Why do you suppose people have such difficulty with this? I have thought about this a lot. I think, first of all, we fail to believe that Jesus is good news. We don't really, in our heart of hearts, think it's good news for everyone. In spite of the fact that the word gospel means good news, and the word evangelism means bringing good news. When I was a little girl, somebody gave me this big golden Bible, and it said, Good News Bible, in all caps, on the cover. But most of the people in my life acted like whatever was in there was really embarrassing and kind of... Um, politically incorrect, they didn't want to talk about it. And so as an adult, when I accepted Christ, I really had to question, what does that mean? Why is it such good news? And is it good news? Why don't people talk about it? So um, I, having studied and looked around the world, I feel like I've arrived at the decision that, yes, it is good news for everyone on the planet. And how'd that happen? Well, So studying scripture, I saw these portraits of people who were transformed by Christ the minute they interacted with him. And I knew I'd had a radical change, but an experience I had five years ago at a time when I was actually struggling pretty seriously with some doubt confirmed for me forever that Jesus is good news for everyone, everywhere. And this happened when I went on a trip to Ethiopia the first time with our church. Um, We have a ministry called Hope in Ethiopia here, and I got to visit orphans and widows with HIV, and they had watched their loved ones die. They were suffering greatly. They had nothing, so they had endured the worst circumstances probably that you can imagine. They had every right to despair and question if God was real and if he loved them, but Despite the fact that becoming a born-again believer there is not culturally advantageous for them, 
the ones who heard the gospel and responded and chose to follow Christ were markedly different from the people who rejected him. So I could tell because their faces would glow and they seemed alive and they, they had hope and they talked about a future and they wanted to live. Right. And now they're even going and helping other orphans. They're, they're ministering to kids who have been in that situation. We had one widow, a Christian widow, actually tell us that when she had no food, the word of God was her bread. Right. So, so as, that helped, right? Yeah. Co- as, convince you. And so how, how does that show up in your life these days? That you're more convinced now than ever that the good news is, in fact, great news. Yes. As, you, a, as a rational person, I can no longer have the luxury of deciding right. that this is not good news. Right. I've seen too much. Yeah. So it, it shows up places in your life. Yes. It's getting easier and easier for me to talk about right, right. the good news. And I, this summer was the 20th anniversary of when I became a Christian. And I decided, because I was just overwhelmed with joy and kind of in awe, like 20 years. It's, it's been a long time. I wanted to post something on Facebook. And Facebook is a scary animal, right? You just you can't control anyone's response to what you say. So I prayed about it. I prayed over every word, and I posted it. And there were some really cool conversations that came out of it. But the strangest part was two months later when um, a gal from my neighborhood who was raised on the opposite side of the world approached me and said, I read what you wrote on Facebook this summer, and I have been waiting my entire life for someone to tell me how I could believe in God. And Obviously, I didn't do the heavy lifting. He had been working on her for her entire life. So the more I do it, the more God says, your part in this is not onerous. Why don't you just do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and let me take care of of the heavy lifting? So I feel like it's getting easier, and I'm I'm trying to get over myself. Right. Um, And I, I would really love to make this a little more personal for you guys. I've been talking a lot, but I want you guys to think with me for a minute about something um, that might demonstrate the importance of doing this in your own life. So I'm going to ask for a show of hands. So first, if you were a Christian from the cradle, if no one person in your life ever shared their faith with you or took you to church or just invited you to do something with their Christian friends or maybe... um, actually came out and gave you a Bible, if no human, live human being ever prompted you toward Jesus or the church, raise your hand. It does happen, doesn't it? God can speak to people through visions, through the scripture itself, um, even through televangelists. It does actually happen that way. But if God used at any point in your life, your mother, your wife, your husband, your child, your boyfriend, your college counselor, I don't know, anyone at all, to draw you toward himself, if anyone was ever willing to speak up and say something to you about God or Jesus, would you raise your hand? So I think you can see that we're probably all here in part because God used a human being to communicate something to us. So this begs a question, and maybe you can tell what I'm going to ask. But if that's the case, 
and someone did that for you, why wouldn't you do that for someone else? If God did the heavy lifting, um, you have a really small, easy role to play. And maybe you're walking around with this lie in your head. Maybe you're like me, that you think that there are certain people who could never come to know him or never even be interested in him. But, you know, you designated them that way, (laughs) right? Um, I used to use that excuse, and so I want to tell you one last story to show you that if you're like me, you have to stop thinking that way. So I have a wonderful friend who I've known almost all my life, you know, over 30 years. And as adults, she and her husband made the decision that they were agnostic or atheist, but they didn't want any hint of religion in their life, in their home, in their family. And to be intellectually honest, they just said, you know, nobody's giving us Christmas presents, nothing. And um, the husband even owns a T-shirt that says, so many Christians, so few lions. And he's not afraid to wear it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But a few years ago, this friend was at my house, and she looked at my kitchen counter, and there was this program on the counter, and she said, what is that? I said, well... I was kind of embarrassed, actually. I said, that's a program from an event that my church did at Christmas time, and I got to buy this table, and we had a big tea party, and um, somebody talked about Jesus and the meaning of Christmas, and I kind of thought of inviting you, actually, and I had, but I had chickened out. And she said, why didn't you? And I said, well, (laughs) I just assumed you wouldn't be interested. I mean, really. And she looked straight at me and said, you need to stop assuming things about people. Wow. And it pierced my heart. I love this person. And yet my lies that I played over and over in my head, that she would never be interested in Christ and that she wouldn't change her mind, kept me from doing what the Holy Spirit had prompted me to do. So I'm really grateful that this friend told me the truth and and pointed out the error of my ways. Right. Sharing uh, the good news of Jesus is good. It's good good news. (laughs) And um, it's, it's scary, but you're still just doing the easy stuff and letting him do the hard stuff. What, what, what are some takeaways you want people, you know, if you, as, a, as a minister, as a fellow teammate out there, what do you want people to maybe walk away with today? Well, I hope that you can be convinced that God has a purpose for you and that he has conversations and good things that he wants you to do that are specifically prepared just for you. And as we're talking about the beginning of the new year and we have lifestyle changes and so forth, that maybe your lifestyle change this year would be to stop living in fear, stop listening to those lies, and instead step out in faith and listen to the Holy Spirit. Um, Because what I've discovered is if you choose to live this lifestyle, it won't feel safe, but it will be a great adventure. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you. Ellen, thank you for sharing with us. Um, Thank you, Alan, for coming. All right, here it is. This, the, this is Grace Covenant Church, right? This is it. Let me just summarize. This is it. First, team values, right? Every, every, let's just say this out loud. Every, every believer, believer is a minister. Is a minister. Okay, our coaching value is this. 
people over the players, right? Uh, what are you supposed to remember most about ministry? Kind of your mindset. This right here, right? You do the easy stuff, everybody. Leave the hard stuff. stuff. Right. And then finally, what's your outline for your tactics your, for ministry? Prayer, Prayer care, share. share. Awesome. <laughs> Go out there and play some great <laughs> game. Lord Jesus, we lift up our time to you. Lord, all these words that would be used to inspire us to transcend our fear, to transcend maybe our misunderstandings about assuming too much or assuming wrong things, assuming lies to be true. So, Lord, we lift up our lives to you. God, give us the vision to see the good works that you provided for us to do in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time, that we have purpose and meaning in life, and it's eternal in nature. We're so grateful for that, that you'd leave us not just forgiven, but just purposefully driven to, to, to live a life to give back to you as an offering. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.